For nearly four years, U.S. President Donald Trump has torn up America's foreign policy handbook, for better and for worse. The implications, both at home and abroad, have been staggering. In the Middle East, Trump has built a tenuous alliance with Turkey's unwieldy president. He instituted a ban on travelers and immigrants from seven Muslim-majority countries. Biden vowed to terminate our travel bans on jihadist regions and surge refugee admissions by 700%. He wants to let them come in. He has promised to withdraw troops in Iraq and Afghanistan and worked with Kurdish paramilitaries in Syria to defeat ISIS, though he broke that alliance when it began to clash with Turkish interests. Trump also withdrew from an Obama-era nuclear deal with Iran, instead choosing to pursue a maximum pressure campaign against Tehran's influence in the region, as well as its proxies in neighboring countries. Most recently, Trump's administration was lauded for facilitating the Abraham Accords, the normalization of relations between the UAE and Bahrain and Israel. In exchange, Israel's government has agreed to halt its campaign for illegal settlements in the Palestinian territories. But Trump's days in the White House are now numbered. By the end of January 2021, a new administration will take the reins of American foreign policy. You're listening to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Suleiman Hakimi, and today we're asking what will change for the Middle East and what will remain the same when Joe Biden takes his seat in the Oval Office. Biden is set to become the oldest president in U.S. history. He has been a familiar face in American politics for nearly 50 years, after being elected senator for Delaware in 1972 at the age of 29. He was re-elected six times before going on to serve eight years as vice president under Barack Obama in 2008. After a brief spell on the sidelines, he is back, having beaten Donald Trump in one of the closest elections America has ever seen. It was his third attempt at the presidency, with failed bids in 1998 and 2008. But when it comes to being president of the world's greatest superpower, even a lifetime of experience doesn't guarantee success in the years ahead, especially when it comes to a region as complicated as the Middle East. We spoke to Sanam Vakil, deputy director of Chatham House's Middle East and North Africa program. Chatham House is an independent policy institute based in London. President Biden has been in the U.S. foreign policy establishment for decades. He doesn't have such a robust uh, record of success, particularly in the Middle East, I would say. But um, what he does bring to the table is a strong portfolio of relationships around the world that I think are important. He is also a centrist. So he will be working to leverage those relationships, I think, in a centrist, bipartisan way to restore uh, the U.S.'s international position, uh, to reassure U.S. allies, uh, particularly in Europe, but I think also in the Middle East, and uh, to re-engage on really critical issues of national security um, that are important for the United States. One of the first things he will do in engaging internationally is to uh, restore, try to rebuild the trust that has been lost over the past four years with uh, the United States' allies in Europe. There have been uh, deep tensions over a number of issues from climate change policy to um, the Iran nuclear agreement and uh, President Trump's very uh, unilateral and sanctions-based policy. Uh, just to name two. And so President Biden 
we'll be looking to work multilaterally with allies to re-engage on some of these critical international issues. So what are the most critical international issues with respect to the Middle East? For American presidents, the biggest stories in the Middle East have always begun with Israel. In 2017, Trump announced that he would recognize, for the first time, Jerusalem as Israel's capital. The move provoked ire in the region, irked allies in Europe, and sparked an emergency meeting at the UN. At the beginning of 2020, Trump introduced what he called a peace plan for Israel and Palestine. It was unveiled in Washington alongside Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Although the Palestinians were intended to be a party to the agreement, they were neither consulted beforehand nor present for the unveiling. The deal of the century, as Trump billed it, was widely viewed as biased towards the Israeli side and unlikely to give the Palestinians a viable state. Within days of the proposal, the Trump administration cut all aid to the Palestinians. President Biden will maintain strong relations with Israel. I mean, this is a principal pillar of U.S. Uh, strategy in the Middle East. Uh, that's not going to change. He, he might not have the same sort of warm embrace of Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu um, that uh, the Trump administration has shown. Um, but I think he will continue to try to work collaboratively with the Israelis and at the same time try to re-engage negotiations with the Palestinians that have felt very frustrated by the Trump administration's very one-sided approach towards uh, peace. Uh, so in that space, there is potential opportunity. President Trump's greatest step towards a sustainable peace for Israel and Palestine was his role in facilitating the Abraham Accords, the deal between Israel and the UAE in Bahrain. Other Arab countries, most notably Sudan, have publicly discussed following suit. Sanam Vakil thinks Biden will benefit from the treaty. Um, I think he will try to leverage the Abraham Accords more productively. But it's important to understand the context that the Abraham Accords sort of came to fruition. I see the Abraham Accords as a reflection of, again, regional um, U.S. partners feeling worried about American security commitments to them. And so what better way to manage the U.S. departure or U.S. distraction, but to bind together and collaborate on regional issues of mutual concern. And for the UAE, Bahrain, and, and Israel right now, obviously there are a multitude of economic opportunities um, for the countries to leverage, but there are also security challenges that I think will come to the foray. And those challenges include the issue of Iran, but also the growing influence and interference of Turkey in the region. And, you know, it's here where the Biden administration can choose to be more um, collaborative uh, with these countries as it engages on regional security issues and also on the JCPOA negotiations. The JCPOA is better known as the Iran nuclear deal. It was signed between European countries, Iran and America under the Obama administration. It went some way to curbing Iran's nuclear ambitions, but did little to prevent the country's revolutionary guard from stirring up chaos in neighboring countries and farther afield. But Trump's withdrawal from the deal was a unilateral step, going against America's traditional allies in Europe. With no deal on the table, Trump's administration has instead redoubled its efforts to sanction Iran and tried to curtail Tehran's foreign military operations. These efforts reached a crescendo with the assassination in Baghdad of Iran's most senior security official, General Qasem Soleimani, by a U.S. drone in January 2020. Given Biden was a key player in the administration that agreed the deal, Sanam Vakil believes that he will take a different approach from Donald Trump. 
as a candidate, um, it was one of the clearest uh, positions that he took. He even wrote about it in a CNN article. And this is one of the uh, sort of legacy, the Iran nuclear deal or the JCPOA, as it is known, was a legacy of the Obama administration that constrained Iran's uh, nuclear capabilities in exchange for sanctions relief. President Trump withdrew from that deal in May of 2018 and began a sanctions-based maximum pressure campaign that was supposedly designed to bring Iran back to the negotiating table. Over two and a half years later, Iran has not returned to the negotiating table. Iran has not retreated from its regional policies. And the president, who had support from uh, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Israel in the region uh, to pursue this policy, has also created anxiety among U.S. allies in the region. Uh, If you recall, last summer... In uh, the Persian Gulf and in the Straits of Hormuz, Iran began its own, uh, what it called, maximum resistance campaign. And it uh, was uh, pushing back against American policies designed uh, with an objective of obtaining leverage and to transfer the costs and pressure of uh, U.S. policy to regional allies. Iran uh, downed a U.S. drone, if you remember, it attacked tankers in the Persian Gulf and in the Straits of Hormuz, and allegedly behind um, the very brazen attack on Saudi oil facilities on September 14th of last year. Um, So taken together, the past few years um, have been quite unstable in the region. It's very clear that the Trump administration's policy um, has not shifted uh, the needle or changed the dynamics in the region. And I think President Biden will be looking to revisit the nuclear um, portfolio and the, and the JCPOA and then looking to build on that. As past American presidents have learned, coming to an agreement with Tehran is always a long and complicated process. Iran's support for Hezbollah, a militant political party in Lebanon, will present a major stumbling block. Hezbollah has been a dominant force in the Lebanese political system, and that has played a large role in the country's recent descent into full-blown economic crisis. With thousands of Lebanese having taken to the streets in protest, there are small signs that the militant group is now accepting the inevitability of the central government's cooperation with the West, especially when it comes to ways to rescue the Lebanese economy. We spoke to Nasser Saidi, Lebanon's former Minister of Economy, as well as a former vice governor of its central bank. He feels a Biden administration will be able to make more headway through multilateralism. The Trump administration has been mainly focused on uh, the Iran axis. In other words, uh, trying to confront Iran across many, many fronts uh, in in the Middle East. A Biden administration, I think, would be more cooperative, in particular, working with the EU in addressing uh, problems across the Middle East. So I think we have a better chance to have an understanding uh, with the Biden administration on a number of issues. So it's not just focused um, on, on Iran and, and what Iran is doing in the region. So, for example, I think uh, it is time to start talking about reconstruction in the Middle East. <clears throat> turning a new leaf. So instead of just talking about arms and confrontation, we can start talking about the reconstruction of countries that have been destroyed, uh, like Yemen, uh, like Syria, Iraq, and eventually Lebanon. Uh, Lebanon needs a a package with the IMF, World Bank, 
and donors, including the EU, uh, US, China, and others. Uh, it's a substantial package. Uh, I estimate it has to be about $50 billion, in addition from $25 billion to recapitalize the banking system. So that will only happen really with US support. And I think uh, we can engage better uh, and more easily with a Biden administration to, to reach a package. Without international support, Lebanon's economy will likely only crumble further, and extremism is only likely to grow. But countries and international organizations like the IMF are only inclined to help Lebanon if they can be sure that its politicians will use their funds wisely. In a country plagued by sectarianism and corruption, that is a tall order. The Trump administration's strategy has been to sanction individual Lebanese citizens, including corrupt politicians and members of Hezbollah. Most recently, it targeted Gibran Basile, a powerful member of the country's Christian community, son-in-law of the president, and an ally of Hezbollah. Will sanctions like this solve Lebanon's problems? Nasser Saidi thinks the idea has potential. Well, it looks like um, personal sanctions on politicians, uh, policymakers, and leadership looks like the only way they will respond. Uh, so I think it can be effective. It needs to be followed up. However, um, you cannot be selective. Um, in Lebanon, for the past year, as you know, um, it is a economic and financial collapse. Um, poverty is now in excess of 50%, food poverty in excess of 25% of the population, real GDP down 25%, unemployment north of 35%. So there's misery happening. And the politicians and policymakers are responsible for that, including the central bank and the Ponzi scheme uh, that was undertaken by the Ponzi, by the central bank, which has now collapsed. And then you have the explosion of the port of Beirut. And we've had no response from the Jab government or any of the politicians to address any of these issues. And so it looks like um, external sanctions seems to be the only way to prod them to do something. But it needs to be followed up and it needs to touch a large number, not a selective few. How will the Biden administration follow up, if at all? As the recent U.S. election has shown, America is a divided country. President Biden's instincts may tell him to look inward and to abandon any strong focus on the Middle East altogether. It is a stance that President Trump has often spoke of adopting, but was rarely able to do so. The most significant step he wanted to take was to withdraw American soldiers from Iraq and Afghanistan, where they have been stationed for nearly two decades. Is that a goal Biden will want to achieve? Sanam Vakil doesn't think so. While U.S. troop withdrawal continues to be important for U.S. domestic politics, I don't think that the Biden administration is going to dramatically reduce the American military presence either in Iraq or in Afghanistan. And the question is why the U.S. has invested significantly in, in both of those countries. And those investments are still uh, quite fragile. In Iraq, the Qadhimi government is trying to 
push back against corruption, manage um, the militias that are supported by Iran inside the country. They have they're struggling to pay government salaries. So the the Khatami government, as I was saying, is under massive uh, domestic, economic, and political pressure. It has also been under significant pressure from the United States to push back against Iran's presence in Iraq. And this has been complicated by the presence of ISIS and counterterrorism operations. Uh, so the Biden administration is not going to withdraw quickly. I think rather they're going to focus on stabilization, building a deeper, uh, more meaningful ties with the Iraqi government and trying to find durable solutions to support governance issues within, within Iraq. Only after these challenges are addressed, and, and I think this is going to uh, take quite a, a bit of time, will the United States leave. Um, they might draw down some support, but they are definitely not going to withdraw all of their support. For Nasser Saidi, America's presence in the Middle East is not only a question of immediate national interests. It is also a question of responsibility towards the people of the region, but also towards future generations of Americans. The United States is, of course, today the global superpower, and it has responsibilities. And it cannot leave and withdraw troops and leave a situation without an internal settlement in the countries in which it's going to leave, whether that's Afghanistan or Iraq. If I take the example of Iraq, uh, basically nothing has been done to address the reconstruction of Iraq, despite the the near victory over Al-Qaeda, ISIS. And so if we don't address the issues of economic, social, um, infrastructure, uh, governance, corruption, uh, we'll go back to to problems. Uh, I mean, Al-Qaeda and ISIS will come back. And therefore, I think this, you, you cannot simply address things militarily. That may be very convenient for Trump from a domestic point of view, but it doesn't help Iraq deal with its problems. Um, we, we need a solution which will help the reconstruction of Iraq. And the same goes for Afghanistan. So withdrawing troops uh, unilaterally and leaving a bunch of unsolved problems will only create problems in the future. It is important to remember that what we now see as past problems were once future problems lying in wait. ISIS, the terrorist group that President Trump says he has defeated, is one such example. Although the group still exists, it no longer has the kind of influence in the Middle East that it did at the height of its power five years ago when it held huge tracts of territory in Iraq and Syria. Any dreams ISIS had to establish a caliphate came crashing down last year, when a group of Kurdish paramilitary groups called the Kurdish Syrian Defense Forces overran its stronghold in Baghouz, eastern Syria. Western forces supported the Kurds in their campaign, but months later, Donald Trump gave Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the green light to invade the Syrian Kurdish homeland. It was, for the Kurdish community, a shocking betrayal. Nasser Saidi thinks a Biden administration would offer a different approach. If you look at the history of, of Biden and his involvement, remember, he's, he's been around uh, in politics um, for, for close to 50 years. And he's been in the Senate Foreign uh, Relations uh, Committee. So he's quite familiar and he's done several visits to the Middle East. So I think when he, when he would look at minorities in the region, uh, whether it's the Kurds or Christians or other minorities in the region, 
his approach would be to protect minorities uh, in the region. So again, on the issue, if it were to be the issue of, of the Kurds, uh, although I have not seen any particular statements from him on that, uh, again, I think it, it would be one of saying uh, we need to protect minorities uh, in, in the Middle East. And uh, I think it, there would be a revision of that type of policy. Again, this is linked as well to the withdrawal of troops. If you withdraw troops without dealing with the underlying situation, uh, you create instability. So you only withdraw troops after you've reached a solution. Trump's willingness to support Turkish aggression has also generated fear in the eastern Mediterranean, where Turkish naval ships have staked territorial claims in what Greece considers to be its own waters. While much of Europe has sided with Greece, the U.S. has had little to say on the issue. Nasser Saidi thinks this may change under Biden. If you look at uh, Biden's history and, and, and politics, he's anti-authoritarian. He would look at uh, human rights much more closely, including political rights and, and governance. Uh, so yes, I think he would be less amenable to, to allowing Erdogan uh, to pursue whatever policies he wants to pursue. So I think uh, the U.S. on this one would stand with Europe, particularly uh, as we've recently seen um, Europe and Greece uh, on one side, uh, Turkey and Erdogan on the other. So I think Biden would stand with Europe and Greece uh, in terms of trying to contain uh, Turkey's ambitions and intervention. So quite a bit, quite a different policy, I think, than from under the Trump administration. As Trump's tenure comes to an end, his policies in the Middle East will not go unchallenged by the new administration. Biden is thought to be ready for the U.S. to return to an approach that will reestablish ties with allies who have been left in the cold for the last four years. Among his greatest foreign policy tasks will be to figure out how to help allies in the Middle East stabilize their region. It is a part of the world with enormous potential, but rife in too many places with conflict, corruption, and economic difficulties. As Biden turns the page, Nasser Saidi expects the story of the new administration to be one of problem-solving on a global level. There is hope with the, with the Biden administration that there will be a much more multilateral approach to a host of global issues uh, that have to do with the COVID pandemic, the making sure that the vaccine is available internationally and widely, and not just uh, for specific countries uh, like the United States or, or say, Europe. Um, there's the issue of climate and Coming back to the Paris, Paris Agreement, there's the World Trade Organization, the World Health Organization, and the whole host of issues. So I think um, the importance of a Biden administration is that it lowers global uh, policy uncertainty. And lowering global policy uncertainty uh, will help revive the world economy. And I think uh, that, must, that is central. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines. I've been your host, Suleiman Hakimi. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe by tapping the subscribe button in your favorite podcasting app. And if you have time, we would really appreciate a review. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan, with additional assistance from Rachel Graham.